John chapter 12 this morning. We're going to read the first eight verses. John 12, we'll begin reading in verse 1 and read down to verse 8. <clears throat> John 12, 1. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. Then said, Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my burying has she kept this. For the poor always you have with you, but me you have not always. John 12 opens with our Lord's death near at hand. We know from the scripture he died as our Passover lamb to save us from the penalty of our sin. Passover is six days away. Previously, our Lord had said, my time is not yet come. John chapter 7, verse 6. Now, the time is near. So he came to Bethany to be close to the appointed place of his sufferings. I think that's important. I think it's important that we see clearly what is happening. Our Lord chose to leave Bethany when the Jews sought to kill him. Remember that? John 11, verse 54. Now, he chooses to return to Bethany knowing the Jews are still committed to kill him. He is showing us by his action that he is in control of all things regarding his life. And that's the first thing that I want to draw your attention to this morning. The second purpose for coming to, La uh, to Bethany was to spend time with those he loved. Lazarus was there. Martha and Mary were there. Simon, the leper, was there. We'll come to him in a minute. The third reason our Lord chose to return to Bethany was, to, was that a multitude of Jews would come out of Jerusalem to Bethany once they knew that he was there. And he and Lazarus would be involved in their conversion. I stopped reading in verse 8, but had we continued, verse 9 says, Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. And then verse 11 says, Because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in or on Jesus. And so, our Lord knows, right, 
there are those coming out of Jerusalem to Bethany to see Lazarus. He is going to be there. He is going to save them. There's going to be a multitude of people within the days that he's at Bethany that leave Judaism and embrace Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their Savior. This brings us to verse 2 where the scripture says, There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. There they made him a supper. Where? Well, in Bethany, right? According to this text. But, but where in, Mer- in Bethany? Because it doesn't explain to us in this text where it's at. What house are they in? But in Matthew's gospel and in Mark, Mark 14 and verse 3, we read, And being in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, this event takes place in the house of a man whose title is Simon the leper. The commentaries set forth many ideas concerning Simon the leper. Uh, Many of their ideas are not supported with scripture and not supported with history. But the scriptures do teach us some things. And I think it's important this morning for us to take a few minutes and focus on Simon here. From the text, uh, this text and Mark's gospel as well as Matthew, we learn that this meal is taking place in the house of Simon the leper. He lived in Bethany. He was close enough in his relationship to Lazarus, Martha, and Mary that he would invite them into his house. And he was close enough in his relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and the twelve that he would invite them into his house. That tells us a lot, and we can make some statements based simply on that. I think he had been a leper, and let me back off. It seems from the scriptures, from what I'm going to share with you in the next few minutes, that he had been a leper but had been healed by our Lord of his leprosy. Under God's law, if he still had leprosy, he would have been considered unclean. And in fact, everything he touched would have also been considered unclean. No Jew would be able to eat with him in his house because both he and his house were considered unclean. The context of this verse is the Jews coming out of the wilderness into Bethany and to Jerusalem in order to purify themselves, to prepare themselves for the Passover. Remember that last week, John 11, verse 55. It shows that the Jews were purifying themselves in order that they might be ceremonially clean to take the Passover. And no Jew would be dining with a leper if they were purifying themselves and getting ready for the Passover. That process, by the way, took six or seven days, that purifying process. Yet we not only see Lazarus, Martha, and Mary dining with Simon the leper, but also the twelve disciples, and probably some of the Jews who had believed on the Lord Jesus Christ at the resurrection of Lazarus, those that were in Bethany. But not only those, but our Lord followed the law of God to its letter. He would not have violated God's law to eat with Simon the leper if he were still a leper. 
When and where he had been healed is not revealed in the scriptures. But I think we have enough of the scriptures to believe that if the Lord is sitting there in his house, he has been healed. When and where he met Lazarus and the Martha and Mary is not revealed in the scriptures. But what I want you to see here is that the history of Simon, Lazarus, Martha and Mary, the twelve and our Lord Jesus Christ converge. In one house. I think providence is amazing. As William Carey was about to board the ship to go to India, he crossed paths with a man and struck up a conversation. The man said, I'm a printer. And Carey said, in five years, I'm going to need a printer. Will you pray about coming to India? Five years later, that printer showed up in India and died in India, setting up the printing ministry for William Carey. Providence, the path of two people cross, and history develops out of it. How did our Lord meet Simon? How did our Lord meet Lazarus? How did they meet each other, Simon and Lazarus? How uh, is it that the twelve are here involved? Those things may not pique your interest. But I see God ordering all things, doing all things well and making no mistake. But all of this raises a question. If he had been healed, why do the scriptures still call him Simon the leper? Why not Simon of Bethany or something like that? Why remind everyone That he had been a leper? I think it's a good question. The scriptures focus their attention on things like this in other places. For instance, James 2.25. James 2.25. James writes, Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works? After all the centuries that have passed since Rahab saved the spies and was brought into the nation of Israel after her faith in Jehovah was borne out by her works. Still, she is now called Rahab the harlot after all these centuries have passed. What about a text like Mark 16, 9? Now, when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. Why add that information? Why add he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils? Why not leave that phrase off? Why did God put that in there? I think stuff like this should pique our interest and should challenge us. Let me suggest three things to you this morning. First, God's purpose is to remind us of the deep pit of sin from which we have been delivered. Pat the sinner. To remind us we haven't always been a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. We haven't always sought after His will. We haven't always sat at the table with Him. 
There are times when we didn't want to be around him. There were times our lives testified we want to have nothing to do with him or his people. So to remind us of the deep pit from which we've been delivered. But secondly, uh, to remind us also of the grace and mercy of God in delivering us from that pit. This is what I used to be. Simon the leper, that's what I used to be. And look at me today, I'm sitting at the table with the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm sitting at the table with the twelve, and I'm sitting here at the table with Lazarus, and Martha and Mary are in the house with us. I'm sitting with God in my house. This is what I used to be, but look at the change that has taken place. How did that happen? How did that change take place? It's owed to the mercy and grace of God. I am what I am by the grace of God, the Apostle Paul said, and we all would testify this morning that if we are anything at all in Christ, if we have any testimony at all on any level of Christianity, it is owed to the fact God has done something for us that we could not do for ourselves. But there's a third reading reason. And it goes along with that second one. And that is a testimony that repentant believers are not what they used to be. Repentant believers are not what they used to be. Simon the leper, that's what I used to be. Simon, the unclean leper, now sits at the table with a thrice holy God. An amazing, amazing situation here before us. But not just Simon But Lazarus, Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him, with our Lord. And also with Simon and with the twelve. I didn't get the copy it and I remembered it and put it in my notes and didn't go back and search. But someone, I'm going to say, said our Lord probably sat between Simon and Lazarus to display these two great trophies of grace. Well, I thought about that and I would add this though the Bible does not say that our Lord sat between them this much I do believe the Bible is teaching us it does teach us that both were at the table both joined our Lord with the twelve in a meal that was marked by much love and with great thankfulness Horatio Bonar said this about this text what a feast what a company Simon healed Lazarus raised Dipping into the same dish, drinking of the same cup with the Lord, the healer, and the razor. I think he captured it. Verse 2 says, Martha served, and Martha served. Once again, we're introduced to Martha and Mary in a text with Lazarus and others. Martha served, and I, my mind and heart was drawn to what takes place in the next few verses. And what a contrast there is between Martha and Mary. Martha loved our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw that in John 11. We saw her testimony of who He was, and we saw what our Lord did in her life. She loved our Lord and Because she loved our Lord, she served the meal to those who sat at the table. Now, in her service, brethren, she is demonstrating her conformity 
to the Lord Jesus Christ. You do understand, don't you, that the purpose of God in choosing us and saving us is to conform us to the image of His Son. And when we see people like Martha, or we look at the Old Testament saints, David and Moses, we, we look for, I hope you look for, how are they being conformed to the image of the Son of God? Because that's the purpose of God in saving us. How am I being conformed? Let me just give three verses here concerning Martha's serving. Mark chapter 10 and verse 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. Not to be served, but to serve. It's the Greek, same Greek word behind the word uh, served in, uh, in John 12 and the word minister in, John, in Mark chapter 10, speaking of our Lord. He came to serve. He came to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. In Matthew 23, in verse 11, our Lord says, If any man serve me... No, I'm sorry, that's not the text. In Matthew 23, 11, he says, But he that is greatest among you shall be your servants. Same word. We look at Martha serving, and we don't see her as greatest among the saints, do we? One other verse that I would bring to your attention, found in John 12 and verse 26. We'll come to it in a few weeks. If any man serve me, our Lord says, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father or honor. So we look at Martha for a minute. The scripture says, there they made him, speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ, a supper. And three words follow, and Martha served. And then we're off again to other things. And we have three words in the middle of a sentence. And I don't want to just read over them. I don't want to just skip past them as though they're insignificant. And Martha served. Remember what the Bible says about the person who gives a cup of water. Martha served. Mary also served. She loved, she loved her Lord and she sacrificed and anointed Him with oil. In her sacrifice, she also demonstrates her conformity to our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember the text in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, where the Apostle Paul, directing the minds and hearts of the Corinthians to their Lord and Savior, says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He were rich, yet for your sake He became poor, that through His poverty you might be rich, that ye through His poverty might be rich. How many of us have been enriched by Mary's example of selfless sacrifice for the Lord Jesus Christ in this text. We'll come back to her in a minute, but I want to bring the two of them together now with some thoughts that I had as I was studying this. I believe the Scriptures will confirm that both Martha and Mary loved our Lord and that both did what they could to show their love. And this is critical for us because religious men do all they can to put a wall between these two women. They seek to make one better than the other or to make one more spiritual than the other. They use the love and sacrifice of Mary 
to call into question the love and service of Martha. Now we know the scriptures show our Lord rebuking Martha on one occasion, but shortly after she was rebuked, sometime later, uh, if she's a true Christian, if I understand Christianity correctly, she repented. And then in John chapter 11, her great testimony of who Jesus Christ is, and then the errand that our Lord sent her on to fetch Mary. Religious men love to make Christianity look like that which they love most. Or like that which they feel closest to. Or feel they would like to emulate the most. And for them, there's nothing wrong with that in their life if it stays there. But I have often heard men say, we should all be more like Mary. In this great sacrifice that she made for the Lord. And I want to ask you this morning. Have you ever heard a preacher say. We should all be more like Martha. And Martha served. Have you ever heard that. In your whole Christian life. In your walk. With all the messages that you've heard. Yet Martha was a great Christian woman. You would be blessed if you followed her footsteps and learned to serve others. Hey, have you ever heard a preacher say out of the book of Acts, we should all be more like Lydia, Dorcas? No, right? None of us have. And yet you would be blessed if you walked in Lydia's footsteps. And the testimony of you would be she sewed clothes for the poor. Tabitha. Tabitha, thank you, Dorcas. Have you ever heard a preacher say we should be more like Timothy's mother? How blessed you would be if you taught your children the Word of God. What about the multitude of women who followed the Lord during his ministry and ministered to him of their substance? That's what the scripture says in Luke 8, verse 3. Many others is all that is mentioned there in Luke 8, 3. Speaking of the women, these unnamed women fall under the heading of many others. Luke 8, 3, which ministered unto him of their substance. They got into their pantries that day. They got into their cupboards and they packed up some food and they followed him. And when he was through preaching at the end of the day or during the course of the day, they took the food that they had brought with them and they ministered. And they remain unnamed to this day, simply under the heading, many others. But God knows them. Most would say, I would rather remember, be remembered as the Old Testament prophetess Deborah, who led Israel to a great victory. <laughs> Very few want to be remembered as Timothy's grandmother. Or Timothy's mother. Brethren, true Christianity cannot be put into the religious ideas of men. I, I fought against this my whole ministry. Fallen into it and fought against it. 
true Christianity embraces all who love the Lord Jesus Christ. Martha loved the Lord and served him at the table. Mary loved the Lord and sacrificed for him. That's God's testimony. That's God's testimony. Don't put the two of them against each other as though one were greater somehow, a better Christian than others. No. I remember many years ago, while I was still at Community Baptist Church, and we experienced such great blessings of God there, that I mentioned to the congregation one Sunday that I felt like that in the day of judgment, when God has gathered us all together on His right hand and brings us in and says, well done, that as those ladies who spent their time on their knees praying for me while I was laboring in India or Mexico or starting churches, that would be at the beginning of the line. Mary took a pound of ointment of spikenard very costly and anointed the feet of Jesus, the Bible says in verse 3, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house is filled with the odor of the ointment. And with this verse, John now puts his focus, our focus upon Mary. There are several things, I think, that we can learn from her. Uh, And the first is this, though each Christian is different. This is what I want to focus on this morning. That each Christian is different, yet each has a place in the kingdom of God. I believe that we ought, as a local church, have unity in doctrine. I believe that. Particularly that doctrine that has to do with the gospel. If we can't agree on the gospel, then what are we going to agree on? If we disagree on the second coming of Christ, you won't find me arguing with you. But if that doctrine, some doctrine is brought up that affects the lives of God's people as they live out their lives as Christians, then yes, you will find me fighting tooth and nail against it. We ought to have some unity there. But also, the local church should look like, should be unified in its diversity. What do I mean by that? And that is that God just saves a bunch of people and piles them together in one place. And they are just different. Can you imagine the local church at Bethany? Bethany Baptist Church. <laughs> Leave that alone if you want to. It was certainly Baptistic. Simon the leper's there. Lazarus is there. All the limelight is on him. Because he's just been raised from the dead. Everybody's clamoring to meet Lazarus. Martha's there. Serving at a table. Mary's there. Going through her stuff in her little bedroom and getting out a little vial of ointment. Coming into the middle of things. Others who had only days before been unconverted, new converts, perhaps. Some Jews gathered together. New believers in Christ. This work in Bethany, what's going on here is is new. It's fresh. What a diversity of people. Yet they're gathered around the Lord Jesus Christ. Lazarus has the limelight in Simon's house. In Simon's house, Lazarus has the limelight. I mean, it's Simon's house. He had offered his house for them to meet. That's what he did. That was his part of the service in that day. God is using Lazarus in a mighty way. By him, many are going to be converted. Many are being converted and are going to be converted to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Martha, well, she's busy serving a meal. She has a good place in the kingdom of God, and her place is important and critical. Mary is also busy. Her devotion is seen in her willingness to sacrifice what she had for the Lord Jesus Christ. Her devotion to the Lord's Word was blessed by the Holy Spirit so that she could see things that the others in that room could not see. And I know that we men sometimes have a problem with that. But she understood something about the burial and resurrection of Christ that no one else in that room understood except the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first thing I want us to see. They're all involved here. Next, I, I want us to see that Christians should never think that, that they have done enough while there's still something else they can do. Those words at the end of verse 8, but me you have not always, that struck me this week. There are some things we can only do in the moment. There are some things in a Christian life that is ongoing. Every day you get up, you, I don't know if you're like me, you have your coffee, you sit down, you read your Bible. Every day there's some things you just do. It's every day and I'm doing what I need to do. I'm praying, I'm, I'm doing what God gives me opportunity to do. But this is one of those moments that if it passes, there won't be another time. There won't be another opportunity for Mary to do what she is doing. She has done plenty. There's no question in my mind that Lazarus and Martha and Mary were active in the kingdom of God. But there was something else she could do. We're not finished serving the Lord Jesus Christ, you and I. As long as we're on the earth, we're not finished serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep our minds looking for what can we do today. Mary had been faithful in other things and she was still busy doing what she could do today on that day. The third thing I want to bring to your attention is this. Christians should never think that doing a little thing is not going to be accepted by God. Remember I mentioned the cup of, good, of water given to someone. Such a little thing, insignificant as far as the world is concerned, but God takes notice. Mary's little gift of small bottle of sweet-smelling ointment, about a pound, a British pound, 12 ounces or so, it was small, but costly. In terms of the number of souls won uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ during that week, while Lazarus and Christ were working together, co-laboring, or the Jews coming out of Jerusalem, in terms of the number of souls saved, it's a little thing. In terms of the number of churches organized after the coming of the Holy Spirit and the gospel spread in the world, it's a little thing. In terms of saints taught and equipped all over the world. It's a little gift. But it was her gift, brethren. It was what she had. It was her service. It was not only accepted by our Lord, but it is recorded in Scripture so that it might be remembered to the end of time. I want you to focus, God is saying, on what these people are doing at this moment. It's Simon offering his house. It's Lazarus. It's Martha serving a table. And it's Mary breaking an ointment, breaking out the ointment. And they're all involved here. 
And they're all so different. And they're all recognized. And so that little thing has been recorded for us forever. The next thing I want you to see is Mary offered her service to our Lord in the face of much resistance. Many, many people around Bethany, around perhaps in that neighborhood where that house was, hated our Lord. Many of the Jews, as we saw last week, were looking for him and planning to kill him. It seemed they would be successful in their endeavors as a man looks at things. It's six days before the Passover, and the Jews are stirred up and full of hatred toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And in the midst of that atmosphere, Mary loved him. Mary stayed loyal to him. And while others despised him, she gave what she could in service to him. In the midst of all that resistance, she just kept on giving. Mary offered her service to our Lord in the face of the ignorance of others. The eleven, I'm eliminating Judas here, did not fully understand the Lord's kingdom. You, you know that. I've preached that as we've gone through this gospel. They did not understand his death or his resurrection. Remember, even Peter saying, not so, Lord. You can't do this. This is not what we have in mind. You can't die. You can't. The kingdom has got to come on the earth. Even at the Passover, you remember, they're arguing among themselves as to who's going to be greatest in his earthly kingdom. And there's this great ignorance in the twelve. I use that example of how somebody can be a genuine Christian and still be in ignorance. The difference between someone who is a settled conviction on ignorance and maintains their ignorance in their religious activity and someone who is ignorant but a learner is significant. They didn't fully understand the necessity of his death that he would make an offering acceptable to his father to take away the sins of his people. They didn't see that. They didn't understand that. In the midst of all that ignorance, Mary understood that he would die and be raised in three days. Mary did. I don't know about Lazarus and Martha. The scripture doesn't address that, but it does address her. And here she is offering a, uh, an offering of incense to the Lord, an offering for an ointment to the Lord. Because she sees something in the scriptures that the others don't. She understood what the others didn't. And it's hard for we who are men to say, well, she understands the scriptures more than I do. And yet, the Bible shows over and over again that there are times when the women in the scriptures understand things that the men do not. And then we read that one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, rebukes her. Why was this ointment not sold? We could have got 300 pence for it. We could have given it to the poor. And the scripture reveals his heart. He said that not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. Three or three and a half years have passed from the time that the eleven has been gathered 
From the beginning, these twelve have been together. They've preached. They've cast out demons. They've performed miracles, being given power to do so by the Lord Himself. And it seems from the Scriptures that no one except our Lord knew the depth of Judas's heart. In this text, he no longer keeps that which is in his heart hidden. His thoughts concerning Mary's sacrifice reveal the wickedness of his heart. When he opened his mouth, what was in his heart came out. Within six days, he will be filled with a demon by Satan himself and go out and hang himself after having betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. What can we learn from these verses, verses 4, 5, and 6? First, brethren, remember that everyone who's not everyone who says that they were a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ is. And those that say they are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ and speak on religious subjects and make certain remarks are not always true, are not always speaking the truth. Judas said this should have been sold. He had the testimony that he had been walking with the Lord for three, three plus years. He had preached the gospel, cast out demons, done miracles. He was among the twelve. And now he opens his mouth in the midst of this gathering. And what's in his heart comes out. Also remember that the arguments of some who say that they are Christians, though they are logical and reasonable, actually you look at his words and you say, well, what's wrong with what he said? If we didn't have the scriptures that say that uh, this is a revelation of what was in his heart, we could actually just, if that was removed and all we had was what he said, we'd say, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with us selling what we have and giving it to the poor? I mean, isn't that Christianity? Aren't we supposed to look out for the poor? Isn't that isn't the Old Testament and the New Testament speaks of it? Both. It's logical. It's reasonable. But just because logical and reasonable doesn't mean it's right. And in this case, it wasn't right. It is true that her gift might have been sold. It is also true the money might have been given to the poor. It is also true that the poor have needs. A solid argument had been made. But brethren, it is not always true that the things we have, that the money we have must always be given to the poor. Must always be given to missions. Must always be given to some cause or another. No matter how worthy. Gifts must come from a heart freely given. We're not bound by scriptures to use everything we have for the poor, only to seek to meet their needs as we have opportunity, the scripture says. And so in the words, though he speaks those words in a logical, reasonable way, yet they are not biblical. They are not biblical. And so our Lord speaks up for his child. I love this. Martha is quiet. Lazarus is quiet. Simon is quiet. Mary is quiet. The eleven are quiet. And Jesus Christ speaks up. Let her alone. And then he explains. 
what nobody else there knows except Mary. Against the day of my bearing, she hath kept this. She sees what you don't see. She understands what you don't understand. Leave her alone. And then he says, the poor always you have with you. But me, you have not always. This is that moment in time when something was in the heart of Mary to do. And if it passes, she won't be able to do it again. Let her alone. What powerful words. Oh, that we would take heed to our Lord's instructions concerning how others serve him. You know me long enough and have known me long enough to know that I have very critical opinions of those who say they serve the Lord Jesus Christ while at the same time they're violating the Word of God. If I have a biblical basis for it, I will speak for it. But critical opinions of what others do in the name of Christ, if not based upon the Word of God, should be met with, let her alone. Let them alone. Our opinions of what others do in the name of Christ, their service, if compared to what we do. What is he saying? I have the bag. I can give to the poor. That's what I do. And he's looking and said, she's wasting it. She's wasting money here. Our opinions of what others do in the name of Christ, if compared to what we do, must always be met with our Lord's words, let them alone. Let them do what they believe God would have them to do. Thirdly, our opinions of what others do in the name of Christ are of no value if they differ from the Lord's opinions of what they or the person is doing. Do you understand what I just said? Judas, it doesn't make any difference what you think. What she is doing is right. And so, brethren, there's much we can learn here. Each man, each woman, each child who follows the Lord Jesus Christ must stand alone before the Lord Jesus Christ. I've said that before. I'll, I'll say it again. I believe it. Individual soul, S-O-U-L, individual soul responsibility before Christ. Each one of us. Give an account of ourselves before God alone. Not with my husband or my pastor or my wife or my mother or my father or my brother. or my Just alone. Me standing there. Me and the Lord Jesus Christ. Answering to Him for my life. Each one of us standing alone before the Lord Jesus Christ. Each one giving account of ourselves to Him. If we're wrong biblically, we then we correct ourselves from the Scriptures. The Word of God is our guide in those areas. But otherwise, let people alone to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. How many pastors have, I, have spoken to me when I was still pastor of Community Baptist Church about uh, the ministry in Mexico? He's not doing it the right way, they have said. And I, I brought this out publicly uh, in a meeting uh, some years back. He's not doing it the way it needs to be done, they said. And how many times did I say to preachers, leave him alone? Our missionaries. Well, when I was over here doing this, and I, I did it this way. Leave him alone. Finally, when I was preaching once in a Bible conference, and one man that had been very critical of the ministry in India came to me and said, Brother Pat, 
I finally understand now why you're doing the things you're doing. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Leave her alone. Let her serve the Lord. And then, why trouble you her? She wrought a good work on me. <laughs> That's what it says in Mark 14 and verse 6. And this doesn't show up here in John's Gospel, but our Lord continues. Why are you troubling her? She has done a good thing. What Mary did was a good work. It was good in the same way that what Martha did was good. It was good in the same way that what Simon had done in offering his house for a place to meet was good. It was good in, in the same way that what Lazarus was doing. When people came, he spoke of Christ. It was good. God defined it as good. It was recognized by God as being a good work. God is the one who judges the hearts. God is the one who declared what she did that day a good work. Paul said of his own ministry that he would not judge even his own ministry, but he would wait until the Lord's the day of the Lord to have God judge it for him. Martha served her Lord in the only manner she knew. Our Lord accepted it and determined that it was good. Mary served the Lord in the manner she knew. Our Lord accepted it and determined that it was good. Mary did not serve the Lord so that she might be remembered. And yet forever God has put her name in the scriptures so that people will remember her. She did not serve the Lord on, a, on wanting to be recognized for what she did. That's not the heart of a child of God. She served and worshipped him from her heart. And her example is remembered in the scriptures by many. Brethren... We just serve the Lord. Just serve the Lord. Just do what God would have you to do. Talk to who God would have you to talk to. A minister where you have opportunity to minister if God gives you an open door. Just, just serve the Lord. Not for recognition, not for, for remembrance. How many of those women following the Lord, ministering to Him of their goods... How many of their names are known? None. And yet God knows them. God knows them. That's enough, brethren. It is, in the end, enough. But not only did Mary serve the Lord out of her heart, Mary served the Lord out of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word. Her belief in His Word led her to anoint His body in view of His coming death. That's what our Lord says about it. It was an act of faith. It was an act of worship motivated by faith. Motivated by faith in what he had said. It was also an act of faith linked to hope. Biblical hope is, is faith looking into the future, okay? It has an eye for the future. She not only understood his words concerning his death, brethren, but she understood his words concerning his resurrection, our Lord said he was going to go to Jerusalem to die, and after three days he was going to rise again from the dead. She believed that. The rest either didn't hear it or didn't understand it, uh, certainly didn't believe it, but she did. And because she loved him and knew he was going to die, 
and knew he was going to come back, she took the moment she had to anoint him. Where does she get her example of sacrificing the best? From her Lord. How does she know to do that? She got her example of sacrificing the best from her Lord Jesus Christ. And her example has often encouraged many, many others down to the centuries to do the best they can for the Lord. Give the best I can to the Lord. She got her example of serving the Lord in the, in the face of opposition from the Lord. What has he been doing for three years? As she's watched his ministry, sometimes with him, sometimes not perhaps. As she has watched him and saw the opposition and saw the conflicts and saw the anger in the crowd and saw the attempts to kill him. And she watches him. And in the face of opposition, what have we learned? He just keeps on preaching and he keeps on preaching the same message and he won't change his message for anybody. And this is what I've been sent for. This is why I'm here. And they just get more and more angry. And she looks at that and she says, I can follow that example. I can serve my Lord in the face of opposition. Whatever others are doing, I'm not going to be afraid of that. I'm just going to serve Him. And then she served the Lord with the knowledge she had. Listen, she's not a Bible scholar, this Mary. She hadn't been to Bible college. There's no such thing in those days. She didn't have a PhD. This is just a simple woman living in a simple village. Bethany is a, a small place outside of Jerusalem, a couple of miles or so. But she knew something. And what she knew, she served with. With the knowledge she had, she served. And she did not wait to know more before saying, Okay, now I can serve the Lord. Now i got a degree. Now I, I've got enough on, under my belt. No, she just served the Lord. Are you listening? Children, if you come to Christ, start where you're at. She did not judge herself by what others might know. She is a simple woman sitting in the house with the twelve. Christ has set these twelve aside to be His. He has ordained them. He has sent them out. They have come and gone during His earthly ministry. The church at Jerusalem knows this. They know the twelve. It is Peter that stands up and speaks to them in the, prior to the day of Pentecost and on the day of Pentecost. And she's sitting in the room. My children often talk about the times when we would have pastors or missionaries in our house. Sometimes five or six or seven or eight of them sitting around the table. And all of them are sitting around and they're talking. And what are they doing? They're, my children, they're sitting there listening, right? When we get together at Thanksgiving or whatever, they still talk about those days. When men of God sat in our house and spoke and they sat quiet. Why? Because this is a man of God. And she is a simple woman. And the apostles, they're not called that yet, but the eleven are there. Still to this day, though I've served the Lord since 1975, and been in the ministry since 1979, still to this day when I get around certain pastors, I just sit quiet. 
There's something about that. They know more than I know. She did not judge herself by what other people knew or did not know. She did not question her service by the opinions of others. Judas speaks up, one of the twelve at the time. No one knows he's not what he's supposed to be. Gives his opinion. She kept on. In all this, she's an example to others to serve the Lord where you are with what you have. Where you are with what you have. In the early days of my Christian life, I have adopted that. I want to serve the Lord where I am with whatever I have. And I don't have much, but what I have, I want to serve Him with it. And so, what about us? I pray God would grant us much grace to serve Him with all that we have, even as Martha and Mary served Him, with the abilities we have in the moment we have. Even as Simon and Lazarus served Him, with what we have in the moment we have. My days are short on the earth, even if I live another 10 years. A bunch of my life has gone behind me. 70 years out of 80 are gone, almost. I'm not 70 yet, but almost. I don't have much behind me. I got more behind me than I got before me. I'm not going to live to be 138 years old. I'm not. (laughs) It's not going to happen. My days are numbered. What can I do with what I got left? Where I'm at with what I have. And you that are not with Christ, you not see in the lives of Simon the leper, in the life of Lazarus, in the life of Martha and Mary, do you not see how people's lives change so dramatically that in the face of whatever they were willing to give themselves for the cause of Christ. Is there something in that testimony that does not stir your heart? What do these people have that the religious people of the world don't have? What is it about them? Who cleansed Simon? Who raised Lazarus? Who uses Martha and Mary? It's our Lord, and He is worthy to be saved, uh, served, and He will save you from your sins. Let's pray together.